Charles, my friend, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Sure, sure. Happy to do it. First time you ever saw someone reading your book, what'd you do? Uh, I probably clammed up and felt embarrassed and was surprised. <laughs> Where were you? Do you remember? Well, I don't know if this is the first time, but a weird thing happened when I was I was out running one day, you know, just jogging. And down here by the Brooklyn Bridge Park, very beautiful park by the East River here in Brooklyn. And uh, a guy jumped off his bent, the bench and he had one of my books in his hand. And he was pointed to my picture on the book and he said, are you this guy? You know, and he just saw me come by, you know, running by. So it's a credit to him. And so I was pretty surprised. Yeah. Did, you, did you grow up in Brooklyn? Because I just went on your Instagram page like an hour ago and I saw you were at a Brooklyn deli. I'm a Bay Ridge guy. You always been in Brooklyn guy? Well, yeah. No, uh, I've only been. Well, I've been in Brooklyn now for uh, more than 20 years, but I grew up in the Bronx. Yeah. Oh, so you're a New Yorker through and through. Yeah. 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 What about you? Where are you now? I'm in Bay Ridge. I was in Staten Island, then the East Village for a while, then Astoria, and now I'm in Bay Ridge. Ah, yeah. Yeah, I had a period where I lived in Westchester uh, for a while, but yeah, that was my only time outside of the city, yeah. Was it always reporter or bust for you, or was there another uh, avenue you were thinking about going down for a profession? No, it was pretty much always always this, yeah. Yeah, from, from college on, yeah, high school on, yeah. I always, like a guy like you, Anyone right now can be a quote-unquote journalist. You know, you can go make a story, post it anywhere. But Sports Illustrated, that's the cream of the crop, the holy grail. How old were you when you got there? Uh, well, that was the last magazine job I had, uh, like a regular job. But, uh, you know, the magazine world was shrinking and uh, going through some real convulsions and changes. And uh, uh, I was, when I got there, let's see, how old was I? Mm maybe like 50 around that. Yeah. I, I, I'd had a long career, uh, at Newsweek and, uh, uh, then people. And, uh, I was at us weekly for a while. I was a uh, weekly magazines were my thing for a long time before books. Yeah. And then I think you did six years at sports illustrated. Why'd you leave there? Cause it always like, listen, as a sports illustrator reader, my whole life, that's like the Holy grail. I had Jeff Perlman on, but like you worked for SI. That's like, that's it. So why'd you decide to leave there? Well, a couple of reasons. One, one was that the magazine world was shrinking and I just saw like, uh, you know, they began offering deals to people, you know, to, to, to uh, because they had to, they had to shrink the thing. And it, it was, it was, it was funny. It was like being on an island that was like crumbling right ben- beneath you because it had been, Time Inc. had been such a big, powerful, successful company. And, uh, uh, for so long and now it was it was just changing on almost on a daily basis and i saw the end coming and i just thought well it might be better uh might be better to to try books and and might might be better to, to get out of this environment especially when i could do it on my own terms you know uh financially and all and the other reason was that as great a magazine as sports illustrated is or was and and as wonderful as some of those guys, well, they're certainly talented, but also I had I made good friendships that some of them have endured, uh, which is saying something because friendships you make later in life are, are, are rare things, I think. But but so I love I love the people there a lot, certainly a lot of them, and I I love the product. But but working there wasn't so much fun, you know. Just like like you might say, well, working at Disney yeah. is not like. <laughs> Going to Disney, you know, with a, with a couple of appreciative nine year old kids or something, you know, uh, it, 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 it wasn't a good it was politically maybe because of the, the thing was crumbling. But the 
the, the people at the top were not fun to work with for me anyway. But, Do you remember your first story with Sports Illustrated? Well, I was mostly an editor. So I didn't, I didn't, and I was mostly the front of the book. So I didn't write very much. Uh, I wrote a biography, uh, a obituary of uh, Willie Shoemaker when he died that I was, that I remember. And occasionally I would write something. And, uh, um, but so I didn't have those experiences of going, I, I wrote sports for Newsweek. I covered mm-hmm. Newsweek was something, a big deal, you know, and, uh, I, I I felt so honored, and uh, I covered Olympics for them, and World Series, and Super Bowls, and and uh, and so yeah, that was my that was sort of the, my golden age was at, at Newsweek as a writer. Yeah, I, I want to talk about Bourdain, but it was so weird when I grabbed the book. Uh, I looked obviously at you, and I'm like, oh, the names sound very familiar. Crazy Good about Dan Patch was like one of my favorite books, and I have oh, to wow. ask you this. I have to ask you the story. As an author, you're going to, you know, you, you sell your book, you're going to put it out there. How hard is it to pitch a book about a horse from like the late 1800s? Like, hey, I have a horse born in the late 1800s. I think it's a book. Like, aren't you nervous about pitching that? Well, uh, it's tough. Uh, it, 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 it's tough to pitch anything because it, it, you wind up in an argument like of, a, a, you know, not an ar- anger argument, but like a debate about whether – you know something has been done too much and uh, um and or or it hasn't been done and maybe there's a good reason it hasn't been done uh, and maybe there's a good reason to do another book if something's been done too much because it's so the subject is so popular like you know like abraham lincoln as a book yeah. topic you know like there's more books about him than anyone else and someone will there'll be more still but uh and i have a friend Costa Kennedy, who wrote a book about Joe DiMaggio, you know, a great book. And it came out after a lot of other DiMaggio books. And it, but anyway, to your question, uh, it was it was a weird little book. I was I was I hadn't made the transition into full time book writing. So it was a side project for me. So I was able to accept a, a relatively small amount of money for it. And uh, and I didn't wasn't depending on a, doing it for a living. Like it was like almost like a hobby. And it was in that case, it was a something I was passionate about and, and was fascinated by. So, uh, yeah, it was a guy named David Rosenthal who bought it at Simon and Schuster. Who's a, who's a very, uh, he's sort of a legendary editor and he, he saw the, the, the promise and the value in it, I guess, you know, so, but. On to current issues. When I saw another Bourdain book, I was geeked out. You wrote down and out in paradise, the life of Anthony Bourdain. What makes your book stand out, which it definitely did, from Laurie's book, you know, the, the definitive oral biography, and then uh, In the Woods by uh, Tom Vitale? What what makes your book stand out makes it differently? Well, Tom Vitale's book was about his uh, – focused on – it was a good book, and it f- focused on his uh, TV career and years. And um, Laurie Wollever's book was, uh, was uh, produced uh, from by the, by the Bourdain – I call it Bourdain Inc. Inc. You know, like like the, the the official Bourdain machine that that produces products, uh, books mostly um, in his name. So it was coming. It was it was it was it was the authorized version. It was the official version, and uh, and so I, I would come. I, my, mine was, uh, and so I didn't consider that journalism so much as I mean, you might like the book, you might not, but uh, Laurie's book, but. Uh, 
but, but it wasn't journalism to me because it didn't it didn't have a sense of objectivity to it. And so I uh, my book was going to be the first uh, true biography, really, of him. Uh, and, and of course, the, the oral biography was set up in such a way that it was just quotes from people uh, talking about him one after the other. And that has some advantages and some disadvantages, I think. But but. Uh, so my, my mine wouldn't be constricted to that format. It would be uh, it, it would be a book that I go out and report, and wouldn't have to clear it with anyone at the Bourdain uh, factory, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, because when 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 he died, his his agent uh, took over, and, uh, and and well, she always was in control of things, but she she sort of circled the wagons and made it didn't want anyone producing any books or anything that uh, that wasn't an official product of of, of this Bourdain INC Bourdain Inc uh, and um, and which I, I you know she was allowed to do legally but but uh, to, to be to be as unhelpful as possible but but I didn't think I thought that sort of was counter to the idea of journalism you know that someone should be should be doing that wasn't wasn't a good idea because he's a public figure and uh, and you know uh subject to uh and, and you know uh, a look-see by a journalist you know and that was me so that was what what my book i think the intent was to do real journalism about bourdain in a book form for the first time were you a fan of him uh casually a hardcore fan or just completely indifferent I was kind of a, a fan, definitely, but I wasn't. Uh, there were some people who were really enthusiasts, you know, and already had websites and or Facebook pages, you know, there were fan pages and watched every episode and and credited him with curing their illnesses and <laughs> saving their marriages and you know, in, in a way like like a Catholic boy like me prays to a saint, you know, to do or uh, and I wasn't like that certainly, and I didn't catch every show but i i enjoyed him and i and i i, I appreciate it. i was i was probably right down the middle as a fan yeah when did you decide to do a book on him like right when he passes away you're like you know what this guy's enough to do a book on and and why him well i was i was walking down the street i live in brooklyn here and i was walking down court street and i, I this is a few months after he after he died i wasn't thinking about a subject for a book or or I wasn't thinking about him, but I saw on a bus shelter uh, a big uh, poster for the show, and he was there in his ripped jeans and his 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 shirt blowing in the wind and his linen-y shirt. And I thought, wow, he just looks so cool. He just <laughs> clothes just look hang on him so nice. He's the coolest guy in the world. It's not an original thought. This is why he's so popular and so like you know he looked the part. He was a sexy looking guy and. He looked comfortable within his skin, and we can get back to that as one of the most surprising th things I found out in doing this book was sort of a contradiction to that. But that's what I saw, as as so many of us have seen that that attractive picture of him looking cool and standing in some foreign locale. And I and I realized, of course, that he he'd taken his own life, and I I had the classic cliche thought about him at that time, and I thought. What, you know, how did this guy who has the best job in the world, who's the coolest guy in the world, how did he come to take his own life? How did that happen? You know, and uh, that's curious. And I, I think as just initially as just a reader, I went to look 
I went to look for that big New Yorker article that you expect to see or that big New York Times magazine article, that long form journalism that, you know, would, would, would answer that question of how this came to be. What was his decline and and fall, if you will? Or uh, and, and how did that happen? But I didn't I didn't see it. And there was no no long piece of journalism about him. And I I, I think uh, uh you know, uh, his partly it was because of his agent closing down things and uh, uh, Kim Witherspoon, her name is. And partly I think it was just, I don't know, the whole Trump madness. We all got caught up. We all got distracted and in writing and reading about politics. And uh, and maybe no one ever got back to this Bourdain subject. So it was just to me this great journalistic subject that was in need of attention, in need of an approach, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't out there. No one was. No one had done it. So I pitched it to Simon and Schuster, who I'd done several books for before. And they they said, wow, they couldn't believe <laughs> they had me go investigate to make sure like no one else was in the process of writing it, uh, which was a hard thing to find because people are not necessarily going to be talking about a project they have underway, but or publishing something about it. But before it's out. But uh, anyway, I couldn't find any other examples. And so I pitched it and they they said, yeah, yeah. That was actually my next question. Writing a book like this, aren't you nervous? I'd be so anxious, like, let me bang out this book because someone else is definitely doing a book on him. Like, that's how I always think when something's coming out. Were you thinking that, like, during the process? It did occur to me, but, you know, the more – the more – once you once you start talking to people who are likely sources of information for you, you know, uh, you can either ask them or some people would bring it up. Say, I, well, I just talked to uh, – you know, someone about it, someone else is doing it. And and, and uh, that's one way to quickly kind of un- uncover it. That's not your purpose in talking to them really, but th- that will come up. And like when I was about a year or more into it, some, another guy did, did start pitching a book around, wasn't aware of me. And some of the people I was talking to, some of my sources uh, told me uh, that, uh, and, and that got me a little, at that point, I felt like I had like a year's head start. So, and I knew he was just he was just getting ready to you know do a proposal. So, and nothing ever ever came of that book. Actually, the guy passed away. But uh, 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 so I wondered if there was a, a curse on this whole project for a while. But uh, but but yeah, no, I thought someone would have mentioned it, and 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 no one did. It's kind of amazing that uh, got to the uh, the finish line. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> and no, still no one has written another book, like an unauthorized book. Yeah. You mentioned contradiction, and he was the definition of a walking contradiction, which I learned from your book. He always played the cool guy, like, oh, I don't want the fame. I don't want this. But then you told stories that your sources told you that he'd be at a bar and he'd have the Google alerts sent on his phone. And and that kind of like, that was one of the things, like the four or five points that I'm like, whoa, like kind of blew me away. Like he had Google alerts on his phone that he wanted his name to be out there. That's, did that surprise you at all? Yeah, that did. Uh, it, it, to the, because I think one of the major things in his life, and if, you, if you're tracing what what happened to him, hmm. was, was this change from starting out, you know, he, he was 41 years old when he made it big, when he became a public figure, he had the book. Uh, Kitchen Confidential come out and 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 he he sort of was old enough to say I'm not going to let fame do me in like it's done in so many others by do him in he meant like make a jerk out of him I think you know and and uh, and and make a slave to more make him a slave to more fame but 
he kind of enjoyed it. You know, from the start, he kind of enjoyed it. And he, he not only had the Google alert to see what was people were being said about him, but, but but I think this is significant that he when when his phone didn't ping for a long time with another Google alert, he would try to stir up some trouble or action, you know, like and he'd he'd say something controversial about another chef or something, get people talking about him. And it was really just for the sake of those pings on the phone. It wasn't like putting money in his bank account. It was just it was just for the uh, for the the fun of that. And he'd put it on the bar next to him where he'd sit there and I as I quote in the book, as you mentioned, that I'd had his friends and these fellow chefs would sit with him. They say, "Turn that thing off." They said that make me feel like an old grandma saying, "Turn the phone <laughs> off," you know. But uh, uh, you know, they couldn't they couldn't bear it because it would ping so often. And and as soon as it stopped for fifteen minutes, he would he would try to get it started again. So, yeah, he 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 enjoyed that. He he. One reason he was he he was so nice to people. Uh, very often when, when he encountered the public and the public would, he had this relationship with the public that people didn't hesitate to come up to him often. They'd sort of imagine they were his friend and, uh, and he would be very gracious with them. And, and, and one reason was he kind of, he kind of liked it, especially the, the good looking women. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> um, and, and so he, he liked that. Of course, at times it became excessive and inconvenient. You know, I, I talk about urinal adjacent autograph seekers and whatnot you know that was that that wasn't very uh much fun or he'd be trying to sleep in an airport and a he was six foot four and trying to crack you know crunch himself into this plas- hard plastic chair at two o'clock in the morning or something and finally nod off and then somebody be poking him and want to get a selfie you know that wasn't so much fun but but other parts of it he he seemed to enjoy a lot yeah difficult to write a book when there is kind of back not backlash when they're kind of like don't talk to this dude don't talk to charles is it difficult because i know you did like 70 or 80 interviews with people was it difficult to try to find people and not get the door slammed in your face in the beginning yeah it was and it was it was discouraging uh and um you know i read a a book right around the time i people talk about the serendipity of reading i don't know if you've ever experienced this like you got you're, you're reading a book just for whatever reason and it, be, it becomes something like a self-help book because you're thinking of something where you have something going on in your life. It's such a coincidence that maybe it's even a novel, but the person in the novel is going through what you're going through. And it's just sort of a uh, the serendipity of reading, you know, and it winds up helping you or making you feel better about things. So um, I was reading this Robert Caro book. Robert Caro, the great historian who was most famous for uh, his his series of books about Lyndon Johnson, uh, which he's still writing. I think he's 90 years old or something like that, Caro. And uh, and he wrote a book uh, uh, about Robert Moses called The Power Broker before before the Lyndon Johnson books, which is a massive book. But it's about this guy who was the, one of the great builders and 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 redesigners of, of New York City, a very controversial figure because he built highways through people's neighborhoods and bridges and 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 you know and and sort of changed the whole landscape of the city and he was a very powerful figure and and carol was a uh, newspaper man when he started out he got this idea to write the book and 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 robert moses wouldn't talk to him he was more powerful than the mayor more powerful than anybody in the city and and people said look you're not going to talk he's never going to talk to you and and not only that, he controls so many jobs in the city as as the head, like the con- construction boss, so to speak. He, he doles out jobs to so many people 
uh, that though all those people want to stay in his good graces, they're never going to talk to you either. Just give up on this book. And Carol said, well, I was thought he was such an interesting figure. I just sort of nibbled around the edges of the of the furthest ring of people from Robert Moses who would who would talk to me. And then then, then the, like the, the ring just inside that got wind of the fact that I was talking to the other people. And they said, well, why, you know, why should you? I don't want him to get his side of the story out there. I'll talk to him. And then the ring inside that uh, uh, started to get wind of it and, and so on and so forth. And, and in the end, he wound up having eight sit down interviews with Robert Moses. Wow. So the whole the, uh, the whole wagon circling, the whole thing collapsed on itself. You just start you just have you persistent and polite and you you know, you, you you show you're serious about it and you're going to do it anyway. So that's kind of I came across that story in Robert Carroll's book when I was getting discouraged because because uh, Kim Witherspoon, his uh, Bourdain's agent, had put out the word that no one should talk to me. And it, this was she's very influential uh, as a book agent because every chef in New York City wants to write his own book or have a cookbook. And and and, and if they, they they want to stay in her good graces. So if if they tick her off, uh, she's not going to help them. Of course, there are other agents and all, mm-hmm. but but so they they told that they wouldn't talk, and they told their staffs. I was running into dishwashers who wouldn't talk to me because their boss had told them, you know, not to talk to me. So it it was discouraging in the beginning. But I talked to who I could, just like Robert Caro, and and. and that started out with a lot of high school friends and all who didn't have any connection to his book agent. And so weren't told that they weren't supposed to speak. And, and uh, it turned out that there was a lot of good information there. Uh, Bourdain's formative years in in high school in New Jersey. And um, so I started to get good stuff from them. And then I started to also do it, you know, nibble around the edges of who would talk to me. And I found out that, you know, Bourdain had a lot of interesting friends and a lot of people who weren't going to be told who they could talk to and who they couldn't. So once they found out that they weren't supposed to talk to me, they kind of resented being told that. And and it worked to my advantage. Some of them called me up and, you know, and pursued me to talk to me. And then I lucked into a situation. I can't get in too much detail about it, but I lucked into a situation where um, someone very, a couple of very key people, not just one, but a, a very key people uh, wanted to talk to me because they wanted to get the true story out <laughs> and not the, not the sanitized. Um, see, that was the problem with the coming from Bourdain Incorporated, Bourdain Inc. Uh, that was a sanitized story. And that was a, a, a story that, you know, they put out books of pictures, photographs, beautiful pictures of him all over the world, but didn't even mention that he that he passed away. Uh, and uh, uh, they didn't want any negative stuff, even that, you know, and certainly about the investigations about his final relationship there with his girlfriend or how that may have figured in his his uh, demise. Uh, uh, they didn't want any talk of that. And um, they came a little bit of a ways with that movie, The Roadrunner mm-hmm. uh, uh, documentary that they allowed the, the filmmaker there is a first rate filmmaker. And I think they must have negotiated for he needed he needed the 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 Bourdain estate to work with him because he needed all that footage to make when you make a movie you need footage and um they had control over all that all that stuff from the shows and other personal footage 
But then he must have said, well, I can't tell the story and not mention the girlfriend at all at the end. And also they allowed a little bit of that. But it was it was all just negotiating with the estate. I didn't have to do any of that in the end. And that's what I mean by unauthorized. Not that I'm, um, not that I'm oppositional or antagonistic to Bourdain, but just that I... I got what I got and I didn't have to run it by anyone in the end to say, is this all right? Or that they say, well, maybe you take that out or soften that or uh, I could. And, and I wasn't upsetting anyone uh, because the people who had permission to give me that gave it to me. And in fact, Bourdain never said he didn't want certain things said or he didn't want his uh what what would be the equivalent of his letters in the old days? Biographers used to used to get really excited when they when they got use of a, a subject's letters. Of course, no one writes letters anymore, so people write texts and emails. So I got I got a lot of those, and uh, I wasn't going to not use them. Uh, and you know, there's a book that came out soon after mine did about Paul Newman, and it was kind of interesting uh, uh, that. Paul Newman um, gave a lot of interviews. He was once thinking of writing his own autobiography and he, he gave a lot of interviews to a writer and then he decided he didn't want it published. And he took all the tapes in those days, I guess the little cassettes, and he took them someplace and he burned them thinking that would be the end of it. But what he didn't know is that all those tapes had been transcribed. Uh, so so there were after he died, these pages and pages of wow. these transcriptions still existed and his children gave those to an author because they wanted to make a book i guess and and the author turned it into you know who the author was david rosenthal who i mentioned earlier my dan patch book who signed that book up he 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 molded those transcripts into a book by paul newman that paul newman never wanted to come out wow. Uh, and and that that's sort of been glossed over in the in the paul newman book but in my case like Bourdain never said don't don't print that or don't say that and and his the people who are in charge of, of or had a legal you know say over his material uh, let me use it and i never had to show them the way i was using it or or anything so it was um it was the best of both worlds in a way to your process of writing because i love having athletes and authors on those are my two go-to i love having them on did you initially have Here's my format. I want to interview the following people. And then when people start saying no, is that when you went back? Because you went back and spoke to the people from Kitchen Confidential, which was awesome to me. I love that book. And I'm like, oh, I remember that guy from 20 years ago. And then the high school friends we've never heard of. Was that originally your idea or did you call an audible and have those guys in it then afterwards? Yeah, it was more like an audible because because the, the, the people I, I would first go after uh, – some of them changed their mind along the way for reasons I described before, but but some of them never did. But you know what? Some of them had been interviewed, you know, so many times that it, it, it really didn't matter. The people at his production company, they were they're really smart and they put out a really good show. You know, all three of his shows were just great TV and you could see them evolving and developing and becoming, you know, excellent TV. Those are they're really talented people, but they uh, they, and they, they, I can't say that just because they didn't talk to me, but but they also had given their take on it so many times and they might not have had the most, uh, you know, people had uh, uh, reasons sometimes for not 
talking, they had very complicated relationships with Bourdain. He traveled around the world with them and they all learned how to do this great TV together. They all sort of grew up figuring out how to do this. And they had this experience of, of, of learning how to do great TV and doing great TV. It was almost like the Beatles, you know, who never read music and they, they, they figured it out. They figured out how to be the Beatles and, and they had this incredible experience of being the Beatles, you know, and, uh, uh, and then they developed, you know, sometimes, you know, the troubled relationships between them uh, as as egos and talents sort of went their different ways. Um, so it, it, I, there was a lot on the record from a lot of those people and I, a lot of the production people, a lot of the likely suspects. So the fact that I was sort of forced to go back to his high school crowd, who are very smart people, and and had a lot of observations that no one no one had asked them about. And then the other people uh, that came through for me, some of them were the most personal contacts that you could imagine. You know, family members and whatnot that had really access to personal information about him that had never been published before. Um, that gave insight in, into who he was, and also had his old school papers and. Yeah stories he'd written in college and high school and 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 gave them to me to to use um and 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 they were i don't know i i hope you found them interesting to read and valuable because i got a lot out of them about who he was and one reason is because he was he was pretty much in a lot of ways maybe we all are the same people we were in high school you know all all through his life you know um, so I found, you know, that was all a, b a blessing to me, but I had to, yeah, figure it out as I, as I went along. Uh, I made a list and a lot of people had to cross them off the list because they wouldn't talk to me. Yeah. Does it get frustrating for you as an author, big time named author, and yet you bust your butt with this book, you travel in the world, interviewing people. And right before it came out, it was like, Hey, this book is either going to be, you know, not anti-Bourdain, but it's like, Hey, it's going to talk about the text messages, which that one text message stopped busting my balls. That was like, that went everywhere. It kind of went viral. And then it was just his relationship with Argento. Like it, meanwhile, you interviewed his parents. You talked about the posters on his college wall. Like you went through everything. Does that get frustrating for you? Like, Whoa, I busted my butt. It's not just about the end. It's about his whole life. Yeah. I, I it, it surprised me a, a lot of it. Cause if you go back to that initial interest that I had the story I told you I think a lot of people had well like me they looked at how could this guy that was the question to ask right Dave yeah. asked it in a in a monologue like how could this guy who had all this great life and he was beloved he just he had as much money as he could ever spend and he had the love of so many people you know uh who he, he was only going to all these places around the world because people wanted his take on all these places I mean what a what a compliment uh and, you know, how, how could he, how could he, uh, how could, how could this happen to him? So, I, and, you know, right after he died, the, uh, there was a Google record set on searches for Bourdain suicide. So there were a lot of people interested, and I'm sure a lot of people tuned into the news and, and, and went online to websites and however they got their news, if it was still from newspapers, and they, they wanted some more information about it. What, Anthony Bourdain, he was one of those deaths that, that was almost like the Kennedy assassination or something like mm -hmm. where remember where you were people went when they heard the news, you know, and, uh, and so the, the people were curious about it. So I was, the, the, and they wanted to know just not like, 
that he died and the, his age and where he died, but they wanted some more information. Well, what happened? You know, what was what were the circumstances? So I was in a book. I was there to flesh that out, and I was there to investigate first, for really, I guess, for myself to see what had happened. And 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 I I was surprised by this reaction. Some people, not not most people, a lot of people just took it well. It's a biography. It's well-known person. I'm curious. They didn't. They didn't overthink it, but other people took the attitude of, you know, you're, you're you're not. Some people actually thought, told me I was really not supposed to write a biography of Anthony Bourdain. No one should. It was it was too soon, or maybe it'll never be on time or the right time. Or how could I do that? And how could I uh, use these text messages? Uh, as I say, I, to me, they were just like letters uh, that biographers have used for centuries when they write biographies. Uh, but uh, and, and uh, well, I was trying to tell the whole story. That's all. And uh, I wasn't uh, I, w- I wasn't trying to hurt him. Or, no, but nor was I trying to boost his him in the sense of helping his image in a way that would help his business prospects. That's what a journalist does. He's not a PR guy. And people have said, well, you know, I. I don't like authorized, unauthorized biography. So, so what does that mean? Like, a, you got, you'd prefer an authorized one that was sanitized and 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 stuff taken out. You know, I just didn't understand that. I, I maybe I grew up in the '60s and I'm, maybe that's my problem, but I don't know. Like, I just don't understand. Like, not 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 wanting the the full story. You know, maybe you're not interested in Anthony Bourdain. Okay, you don't have to read the book, but 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 if if you are, why would you want? A, a whitewashed story. Why would you want three quarters of the story? Um, and you know, I, you know that I'm still. I think a lot of it had to do, Mike, with virtue signaling. You know, people saying, "I'm the sort of person that's going to protect Anthony Bourdain. I'm such a nice person. I don't want to know that. And I, I you know, I, I, I'm here to protect Anthony Bourdain and his family because, you know, in one in that story in the Times it was a page one story in the times about the book a week before it came out. And it said that friends and family object to, you know, that, that was the only thing that was wrong in that New York times story. It wasn't friends and family. It was one person who objected one person in the world, his uh, brother, right? His brother. Yeah. And, and his brother objected because his brother didn't cooperate with me, or at least I'm supposed to say that officially, but, but his brother, uh, objected because he didn't come off well in the book and and uh he did some some things that were kind of silly about around the memorial service and uh and i wrote that you know he wanted his brother wanted to give uh everyone a little who attended the memorial service which they had belatedly and and in his brother's favorite chinese restaurant which was a few blocks from Anthony Bourdain's favorite Chinese restaurant in Chinatown. They didn't have it there. They had it at his brother's favorite restaurant. And he wanted to give everyone, just as for example, a little vial, a glass vial with Bourdain's ashes in them and give them to everyone who came. And everyone thought, well, that's kind of just, that's just kind of weird. And, 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 and then he, when he did, so that, that was nixed by his agent. But when he did get up and speak at the memorial service, he, he gave a speech that was along the lines of, you all thought Anthony Bourdain was such a great guy. Well, let me tell you, I was his brother. And let me tell you this and let me tell you that. And like people were cringing, you know. So I wrote about that. And his brother didn't like that, as you might 
understand why. And, and, and that's why his brother spoke out about the book. But from relatives, uh, friends, I've heard nothing. Some, some of them I've, I've just heard nothing from, but the ones I've heard from have all been positive and reinforcing and saying, you got it right. And it's been very gratifying for me because uh, I was relieved. You know, I, I wanted them to see it that way, that I'd gotten it right. And so the friends and relatives I've heard from all, um, you know, all have been re reassuring. And uh, it was only that one brother. But but it was also a lot of fans, as I say, who who, who wanted a virtue signal and point to themselves as defenders of Anthony Bourdain. And I'm glad you mentioned that last part with the fans because – I tweeted the book and, you know, then I, you know, I, I searched your name, search reviews. And it's like, don't read this book. It's gossip. It's this. But the people who did it, people responded, Hey, did you read the book? I wouldn't give him the satisfaction. I won't give him the money. It's like, well, and then the people who read it were fair. They were like, listen, it doesn't glorify him, but you don't just crap on him the whole time either. I thought it was one of the most, a fair biography of a troubled complex dude, but people who talked about like the book, I hate the book. They never read the book. So it's like, you can't even take that serious. That's right. The, uh, it was a very few people who read it who 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 had a lot of bad things to say about it. Um, I, I know that sounds self-serving, but it's just that's the way it often goes. Your worst critics, as a book writer, are often people who haven't who haven't read the book, and and as I say, who want to who want to depict themselves in public as as uh, defenders of Bourdain. And right away, it went to this question of money that I was getting money while well, I'm a professional writer. I, I I you know I I do this for a living. You know, I, you know who I wasn't making as much money as is Anthony Bourdain. A Anthony Bourdain went all around the world. God bless him. I don't, I don't, do, I don't begrudge him this. He went all the way, all around the world. Went to the poorest countries in the world. Went in poor people's houses, and he often gave them uh, money. Mm -hmm. uh, wrote him a check for, you know, thousand dollars or a lot of people don't know that. But he left. And they're still the poorest people in the poorest country in the world. And he made millions of dollars and he, he had the right to. He was he was being paid as a storyteller and as a TV person. And and uh, so if you want to talk money, I don't think that's an area they if you're defending Bourdain. I don't think you should get into that area because he made a lot more money than I did. And and uh, uh, and as I say, more power to him. Do you think any of the backlash, you know, when, when you heard, he, you know, tragically committed suicide it was because of argento it was because of argento you actually went into it and it seems like that's taboo in the uh like you say bourdain brand the bourdain inc why is she so taboo that you know she's not on some of the episodes she's not really discussed like it's kind of like let's not even mention her yeah she became um a part of the of the show and of the world she was actually on a few shows uh, and the first one she was on i thought she was quite charming and i thought it was you know you could see the frisson of their romance right there in front of you blooming you know in fact i think they they met for the first time on camera because bourdain had this thing he wanted to be authentic and he, he didn't ever want to be photographed meeting someone and faking it saying oh hi how are you or goodbye you know if he'd already met them so they kept this kept it pure and kept it real but then it it devolved into kind of a thing where he you know their, their romance got on the rails very fast especially for him you know as an aside i have to say their romance was kind of like one of those high school romances or maybe not just high school but where one side is much more ardent than than the other side and that's often of course a problem in relationships and this was a case of the guy being much more ardent than the woman especially after a while 
So, but as time went on, he became, uh, he was forcing her uh, onto the people who were on the show. Like he would, as a director, he wanted her to give her jobs. He wanted to, in a sense, give her money, give her work, <laughs> excuse me. And uh, uh, so he was trying to hire her as a, as a guest star on the show. And he was trying to hire her as a director and, this was causing problems with with the this little tight family that was traveling around the world and making this show and on a very tight schedule the schedule was like a house of cards if anything ever happened to one episode ah you know because they had to be in like serbia one week and antarctica the next <laughs> and brooklyn the week after that so if, if things got messed up it, it, it was really bad for not just the, the show one show but for the whole season and uh and so there would be fights about whether to hire her amongst the, uh, you know, employ her. Uh, and, and if they, when they did, there were, there was dissension on the set working with her. And, uh, and then when she did say yes, then she'd, she'd sort of make threats about pulling out like two weeks down the road. And this caused so much tension uh, between Bourdain and, and his uh, crew uh, that she became not just his girlfriend, uh you know, not just the boss's girlfriend, but but kind of part of the show in a in a in a in a bad way, and uh, and so that was one reason that she was so uh, disliked. I think that and, and that no one wanted to uh, include her in the story, and also because Bourdain just got so ridiculous about her towards the end. You know, saying in some of those texts and all that that are in the book, you could see that says. You know, I just I know she's going to screw me over eventually. I know I'm going to be hurt and I know I'm going to he's already hurting, but I I know I'm going to be devastated, but I can't help myself. So he's saying this and he's talking to his uh, his wife, who he's still married to Octavia uh, to the end. He didn't he didn't ever want to divorce her. And and she became his uh, like his his buddy who helped try to help him through these rough patches in his his romantic life. And and. Uh, he he knew what was he, he couldn't stop himself it was like an, it was it was like an addiction I guess that he couldn't and she was the the illicit substance uh, Asia Argento uh, was and uh, he couldn't stop herself and he she was pulling away and just as it always happens in these kind of relationships the more she pulled away the 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 more frantic and panicky he got and the more he moved towards her and the and the more he tried to lavish jobs and work on her and just plain give her money and things like that and uh uh and 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 the more and the it, it, he didn't come off he he he, he kind of lost his dignity at the end i think because of her and that was another reason that uh his agent and the estate didn't didn't want to talk about her too much yeah you mentioned the dignity because as a traveler, I love traveling. I'm obsessed with doing it. I see him like living the life. But then you find out he was, you used the word, I believe, sugar daddy. He was just giving her money. He paid off, you know, the uh, the victim that she allegedly um, had, you know, had their affair with and stuff. He Googled her name 700 times before he died. Like these are things that aren't normal. Did you know this stuff about him prior? Did you have any inklings of it? Or was it an eye opener for you as it was for me, the reader? Uh... Well, at some point, I, uh, from the outside, I, I, I got a sense of, of what was going on. But then when I got the inside story, it really it, it really hit home. Like, you know, I found out, you know, from someone who knew how many 
I was able to get access to his computer records and he Googled her, you know, those hundreds of times. And, and that was because she showed up in one of the paparazzi uh, photo streams with another guy, a young guy, a good looking French journalist in Rome at a hotel where she and Bourdain had had a romantic liaison. and was especially, you know, one of their one of their places or so he thought. Um, and And that was sort of the the ultimate dagger in the heart for him um, towards the end. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, it was, it was, it was painful, it was painful to see up close. And I think, but that wasn't the end. I think the, the end for him was a very short period of time chronologically when he realized this, he realized what we're talking about now. He realized he'd lost his dignity and he realized he, he, he'd, uh, uh, he he become that, that guy on, on, on you know that horrible boss as he was. So this led part of the Ozzy Argento stuff led to him having uh, very bad relations with uh, the people on the crew and, and being turning into a boss from hell and uh, and and towards the end. And in other words, the, he became the jerk that he vowed he'd never become. And um, and I, but it wasn't becoming that, and it wasn't the the addiction to Ozzy Argento. It was the step after that, the realization, the click that he saw what he was clearly, and that I think is what sent him into the final spiral of despair in the last few days. And and you know we can talk about why someone got so despairing and so desperate and so sad, and then we can talk about why they took their own life. And that's two separate questions because a lot of people really hit bottom and really despair and, you know, they're tortured and they're, or they go through horrible concentration camp situations, but they don't take their own life. There's a whole, that's a whole other set of, or one or decision or, or a whole other thing, you know, uh, uh, and it, it, it's not better or worse or anything, but it's just, it's a whole other thing. So I, I can tell you why uh, he, I think I can tell you with some confidence why he got so sad. And it was that that snap of realization that he had uh, right in his last few days and, and hours there. And people were seeing the downfall because you told it was actually a chilling story. The Eric repair story with the ear to the wall. That's mm-hmm. a chilling story. So people saw the downfall. People were really worried about him to, uh, come the last few days. Isn't that right? He was in bad in a bad way. He was. He was already arguing with her on the phone. They were in they were in France in Alsace, uh, France uh, near the German border, filming a show. And Eric Repair was there. Eric would often, you know, wasn't a, uh, on every episode, but he he was on a lot of them. And he was there. And uh, so he's having this uh, tense time, which was not unusual, and like a lot of tense phone calls with Ozzy Argento. And then, and on top of that. Uh, the, the picture showed up on, on the internet of her with the guy, the other guy on top of that. And, um, and, and another factor in all this is his physical exhaustion, which has to be weighed in, you know, travel. We all love travel. And we, we say we love travel. We think we love travel. And we do love travel, but, but it's an exhausting thing. 
and uh, it, 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 things go wrong. And even when they don't go wrong, but they inevitably go wrong, there would be delays and cancellations. And, 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 but just even if they don't go wrong, it's somehow miraculously exhausting process. So he was on the road 250 days a year traveling. He's drinking heavily, which is something else that exhausts you, tires you out. And so he was in, in a, he, he's in a state of exhaustion. He's in, he's fighting with his girlfriend. He's is uh, uh, beyond exhaustion. And then she showed. Then the cheating thing happens. The pictures. It was like a one, two, three, four punch uh, thing, and and that's what you know. That's what preceded his death. I could say that. You know, I don't think I can't say. I don't think we can blame her for his death. You know, she she was actually trying to pull away from him. And that was part of showing up with the other guy was a, a reminder that they had a supposedly had an agreement that they could see other people, uh, which which he went along with, I think, but hope would never come about, although he was still seeing prostitutes. Uh, uh, so there was all kinds of crazy. This got to be, as I say in the book, a crazy, messed up celebrity yuck thing that 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 and i think realize realizing it is 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 what's sent him over the edge yeah you mentioned he was very similar a later tony to high school tony but what changes did you see the most from high school tony to sitting in vietnam with obama uh tony like what was the biggest differences you saw well, well, that example, maybe not too much because he was very nervous about being Obama. So he, he and Obama had to try to calm him down and say, like, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right, Tony. You know, uh, and uh, he, he uh, but uh, the biggest change. Hmm, um, well, maybe that he was. Maybe that turning into a bully because he, he had. Uh, as I hoped I pointed out in the book, he had strange relationships or important relationships with bullies all his life. His mother mm-hmm. was a real bully, like and famous at work for being a bully. And and he had a very bad relationship with her. And we said he hated her, whether he really hated his own mother, I don't know. But he, he seemed to really dislike her and not want to be in her company. And uh, and he's and he. He, he went from being like hating, hating his mother for being a bully and bullying his father all the time, uh, as I describe in the book, to to becoming a bully himself. So, uh, you know, with his with his with his crew uh, and becoming something of a prima donna. Um, and uh, and then, as I always say again, I've said it several times now, but realizing it, you know, I think that's to his credit that he realized that uh, and 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 thought that he. He was too hard on himself in correcting it, obviously, but uh, realizing it, yeah. I've had a ton of true crime authors on and obviously a lot of nonfiction authors, and they say it's always so important to go to the places they go to, wherever Mm -hmm. the subject is. For Bourdain, it's a little different because you could have went anywhere in the world. But again, an hour ago, I'm on Instagram. You were at the hotel that he took his life at? Yeah. Yeah. I I spent Thanksgiving of uh, 2019 – in, in the hotel room, it, it took some doing to get oh, the actual room you were in. Yeah. And the bed and I slept in the bed and the whole thing. And, uh, oh. um, uh, yeah, for this, the reasons you say there's, there's something, uh, I I've learned and other biographers have written about this better, more highfalutin biographers than me, guys who've written about, uh, the, uh, Keats and Shelley and, and, and the great, uh, poets. But, um, 
you have to walk in the person's footsteps. And it, what you get out of that is hard to say exactly. It's, it's often not like hard data or hard information, it's even stuff you can write down in a notebook. But you just one thing it gives you is the ability to you feel like you're an authority on the on the person now. If you if, if I hadn't gone there, if I hadn't walked in his footsteps, if I just stayed at home and done this at arm's length, I wouldn't feel I had the right to tell his story maybe as much as I did. And, and feeling that you have the right maybe lubricates your mind and your confidence and your, and, and, and you can, uh, you can tell it better. So, yeah, I, I talked my way in because the, 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 the guy who ran this hotel is this charming little boutique, uh, uh, hotel in, in Alsace. He originally, not not him, oh, the owner, but his staff originally gave interviews about Bourdain, seeing Bourdain in the days before. And I found out later that I thought that meant that the owner was like happy to have the publicity. Yeah. <laughs> but it turns out he wasn't at all. And when I, I when when they said, why do you want this room in particular? Because I knew the, the name of it, it. The suites had names. And I said, oh, I'm writing a book about Anthony Bourdain. And they said, not only can't you have this room, but you're not allowed ever to come into this hotel. <laughs> so I had to work around that. And uh, uh, but I, I finagled my way in there and uh, and, and had that experience. Uh, and I was you know, it was it was weird. I didn't it wasn't a good night's sleep, I would say, but it was a, a very fancy, nice hotel. Expensive. <laughs> One last Bourdain question. Uh, there's so many travel shows, food shows that just don't work. They're on TV. We'll throw them on as background music. But you watch a Bourdain episode and be loved and you get so interested in and you really care what he has to say about Israel and Palestine or Beirut. These plate the Congo. You really get invested in his opinion on it. And you, you whatever how you uh, lean uh, politically, you actually respect it. What is it about his show that everyone just loved? Mike, you've hit on something that's kind of the most magical thing about Anthony Bourdain is that is that it's it's you know magic is hard to explain. But as I say in the book, like we we have a natural aversion to hearing other people's travel stories or, or seeing their travel. Photo. If you've ever stuck next to you know in an airport bar, someone who starts to show you the pictures of their latest trip, it could be the greatest place in the world, and the person could be a nice person, but but you just don't want to see that. I said like thirty years ago when someone used to bring out that that Kodak carousel of the slides, you'd want to run in the other direction. It didn't matter. You know, every, it was a universal, uh, uh, it's a universal built-in thing. We just don't want to hear other people's travel stories. We love travel. We want to go ourselves. And then we probably wind up boring people with <laughs> but, 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 But we don't want to hear this. So Bourdain somehow was able to overcome, there have been great travel writers over the years, of course, and uh, and great travel documentarians, but they're so rare. You have to really be extraordinary at it. And part of it is chemistry, something that you probably can't learn or duplicate. And I think he was able to uh, uh, bring this chemistry to the to the situation where he he just communicated with people in a way that 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 you're right that they, they they wanted to hear his take on places they wanted to see him go places and in fact as I said earlier the only reason he was going to all these places was because people wanted this take on him you know it's funny you can send someone all over the world but the show falls flat kind of right always and um you know when i was a kid they you see these horrible travelogues you know hula dancers and people kissing the barney stone and and, and you know ah it was like it was like rain out theater on a ball game you know like 
when the, when there was a rain delay, that's what they would show you. You know, it was like you you didn't you you divulge military secrets. You know, to have it end, it was like a torture. And uh, but Bourdain somehow was able to get around that and turn that turn travel show into something you'd tune into at ten thirty at night on CNN in New York. You know, it came on. Uh, so th- it was the most amazing thing about him, and it was his. His greatest accomplishment, part of it, he came to naturally, I think, but part of it, he also, we got to give him credit. He honed his skills and he he made it, he took that natural talent and he made it even more effective. Ready to finish up with some quick hit questions. Sure. You and I at a bar in Brooklyn, who's the coolest person in your phone that if you texted them, they would text you right back? Hmm. Uh, I can't say because they were a secret source for the book. I actually, I respect that. Okay. How about this? One sporting event in history you wish you could witness live? Uh, the, 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 uh, uh, well, one, either of the, uh, uh, Cassius Clay, uh, Sonny Liston fights. I'd be historically accurate. With Ooh. Them. Okay. That's a good answer. Yeah. Last show you binge watched. Oh. Oh, uh, Succession. Was it any good? Oh, yeah. I loved it. Uh, I'm not a big binge watcher either. I think it's probably the only show I've ever been. <laughs> ever start a book and then for one reason or another, not enough info, someone else did it, you put a stop to it? All the time. Really? Yeah. I'm very wow. happy with my books. The about- worst part of writing a book is all the crappy books you have to read when writing it. And since most books are crappy, uh, it's very easy to f- come across crappy books. Uh yeah. True or false? Do you still um, read the reviews on your books? Uh, false. Wow. You, you got to that stage where you don't, you don't read reviews? This was with the book that did it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't care. I realize I don't care. You know, I, I, once I get to a stage or a hand in the book, I'm happy with it. It's not that I think it's the greatest book in the world, that I'm the greatest writer in the world, but I'm, I think I've done the best with this that I can. And I don't care what anyone thinks, good or bad. Coolest piece of memorabilia that you own? Oh, oh, uh, oh! I own uh, a horseshoe that was from the the stall where Dan Patch, who I wrote that book Crazy Good about, the who was once the most famous horse in America. I can't say that for sure it's his horseshoe, but the owner of the stable gave it to me, and they found it deep in the dirt, and it, so it's probably his. That's a great answer. Yeah. And how about this? Favorite Brooklyn bar, since you're a Brooklyn guy. Favorite book, Brooklyn bar? That's it. Uh, these days, I like to sit at the bar at Buttermilk Channel. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, Charles, this was a blast. Please give the plug where everyone can follow you on Instagram. Wait, are you telling everyone what your next book is? Because I saw you posted it, that you finished the book. Are we just keeping it on the DL for now? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you. It's, it's a, a biography of Barry Gordy, the founder of Motown. Oh, not, are you enjoying the process or are you finished up with it? Uh, no, no, I'm barely started the process. And it's going to be very challenging because while there's no other biography of him, there's a memoir that he wrote. There's no other biography. The story has been told many times, so but never told fully because he's he's a big, like with Bourdain, he's a big fan of putting out the myth and not the, not the reality. And uh, and not that it's it's reality is necessarily worse, but there's a gap between the myth and the reality, I think. 
That's an intriguing story. Now give the plug where everyone can find you on Twitter, Instagram, buy the book, and everybody, your other books. You wrote books about Butch Cassidy, Ty Cobb, Dan Patch. So give the plug where everyone can find follow you and uh, find everything. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure when, what my name is on all those things, but, uh, <laughs> I'll pull it up now. Hold up. I, I, it's L E E R H S E N. And you can, I have a website. You could, it's Learson.com and you could look, look there and find all the books. I'll have all the plugs and everything in the description. Charles, this was a blast. Your book was awesome. Uh, it shouldn't even be say it's fair. It was an awesome book. So regardless of was it, it was fair or not, it was a sick book. One of my favorite books I read all, uh, in the last year or two. So it was an awesome. I'm a huge fan of yours and hopefully we can catch up and have a drink one day, my friend. Well, that, that'd be great, Mike. Thank you. I enjoyed this. See you soon, my friend. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.